Um, we're starting a new three-week series today called People of a Different Spirit. Can you turn to someone next to you and say, People of a Different Spirit? Um, so some of you are like, great, this is right up my street. Other people are like, what the heck is he talking about? Um, well, People of a Different Spirit is a, is a, a person of a different spirit is a nickname that was given to a guy in the Bible called Caleb. And we're going to do a three-week series on um, a guy called Caleb, and you read about him in, in Numbers 13, 14, and a bit of Deuteronomy, and, and I think in, in Joshua. And uh, in brief, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be learning some, some keys to lay hold of all that God has for us. Now, I get quite nervous when my sermon title will suggest that I'm giving you three keys or five ways or six strategies, um, because at the end of the day, it's not really about us. It's about Jesus, but it is about how we respond to Jesus. And most of our sermon series will be way more into, as it were, very explicitly the gospel and what Jesus has done. Um, and that's right, because no matter what you do, if your heart's not in the right place, um, you're probably going down a wrong route. But at times, we will take and look at characters in the Bible and stories in the Bible. We can learn from them. In fact, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, that these things written in the old bits of Scripture, if you like, in the Old Testament, particularly the Exodus story, they were written down as an example and an instruction for us today. So if you don't like your Old Testament and you don't read it, you're missing out on instruction from God for you today. Um, now, a lot of the instruction and example is from their failure, but there's also great fruitfulness in that. So I trust that today will be instructive for us. People of God are a promise-carrying people. If you're a Christian, you are a promise-shaped person. We're coming up to Christmas, and um, many of you will um, take part in Advent. Um, I didn't really do Advent for many years because I don't come from a particularly Christian background and just never got in the habit. But Advent means waiting, a coming, and anticipation. And we remind ourselves what it was like for believers in God before Jesus came. They were waiting for the promises of God to be fulfilled. There was this great anticipation because there are thousands of years of promise after promise after faithfulness after faithfulness of God. Just to say, there's been some research and studies, lots of them, but one person just took eight prophecies in the Old Testament, hundred years, hundreds of years before Jesus came, and worked out that for one person to fulfill all those prophecies was something like 10 to the power of 17. It's like, that's a lot of zeros. And so Christians are promise-shaped, not just because God has said, but actually history and God's faithfulness attests to there actually being a very robust historical reason for us to trust God and to believe God. To discount Jesus as the fulfillment of hundreds of years of prophecy is a big step even if you're not a Christian because of the weight of evidence. We day-to-day -day put our trust in things that are far less statistically viable than Jesus fulfilling prophecies that were written hundreds of years before him. But on top of that, when we know Christ in us, we become a promise-shaped people. Ever since the beginning of Genesis, God promised deliverance. We've been a promise-carrying people. And when God gives promises, it gives us a future to lay hold of. Right? God's promises are not just nice. <laughs> They're actually instructive because they give us something to lay hold of. They, they call us into something. And as a church, as individuals, you will have this in a very general sense. All Christians have a wonderful inheritance 
in God to lay hold of. Last week we heard from Terry how we can lay hold of rewards that await us and our works will be tested. Some of you have very specific words. Apart from the general call of Scripture where Jesus called us into fullness of life and into a mission to go and tell people about Him and disciple them and teach them into His ways, some of you have heard God whisper and God shout and God speak very clearly about some things. And some of you are living in the good of those promises, the prophetic words of God, and some of you are waiting to see how they will be Fulfilled. And I want to encourage you, we believe God speaks today to pursue and to seek God for what He's got for you in your life. Now, you don't sit apathetically waiting for it because there's a lot of things He's called you to in the Bible, but we believe God can speak to you. And as a church, we have promises to lay hold of. God has put burdens on our hearts as a corporate body and individuals within it. He's spoken prophetically about the shape of us as a church, something of our future. We've got the kingdom mandate where we've got to share God's with our neighbors and our neighborhoods and go and lay hold of disciples. But we have much to lay hold of. And as I was praying for this morning, I just, I felt God wants to, uh, to, to, to give us a surge of power this morning, if you like. When society around us is dampening expectations, and this is happening very subtly, isn't it? Dial things down. I mean, we've all dialed down the thermostat, haven't we? You know, coming to church, this is a nice warm place for some of us. We've all, I mean, we dial down expectations. We, we dial down our hopes because there's a recession coming and there's wisdom in there. But what it can subtly do is we can just dial down in our hearts. And there's something that rises up in me when society around us starts to crumble. I'm like, it's not a surprise. I, I, I don't know if you're surprised that the world around you and the systems are not working. That is not a surprise. But if the church is not for such a time as this, I don't know when it is for. So something rises up in me when things get difficult. We don't pretend they're not as I've unpacked. But something comes up, and I just believe today God would just stir something afresh in your spirit. Scripture says God's grace teaches us to be zealous for good works. Can you say zealous? You can't really say it apathetically, can you? I mean, zeal, zealous. And that's what God is doing of the increase of his government peace. There will be no end. A lovely Christmas little quote. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And God's longing is that you would be zealous for good works, fully alive inside, ready, longing for God. And so I trust this morning would be some encouragement and that we are a people who are pregnant with promise. So when we come to Numbers chapter 13, God has delivered his people from Egypt, even if your only frame of reference is the DreamWorks movie, you know, or what's the, what's the other great film, Gods and Kings, or so, you know, it's not entirely accurate, clearly. But God has delivered his people from Egypt under the evil rule of Pharaoh, where they have been slaves for years. He's taken them through the Red Sea. He delivers them these amazing signs and wonders. God is sustaining them, and now they are on the border of the promised land. And if you want to understand the Christian journey a bit, read the Exodus story. It's a picture. It's a living out of a Christian journey. God delivers us out of slavery so that we might worship Him. And we walk into our inheritance that God has for us. So they're on the edge of the promised land where God had promised them, I will give you this land. So they've come out of slavery. They've come to the edge of the promised land. And we pick it up in Numbers chapter 13. 
in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving. Can you say giving? Note that. <laughs> God's promised it a lot of times before. But he says to Moses, tell them to go and spy out the land which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, everyone a chief among them. So Moses sent them into this land that God was giving them. They're on the cusp of laying hold of that which they have believed God for. They're on the cusp of it. Battles have to be fought for this land. So they are to spy it out and get the lie of the land which God is giving them, not to decide if they should take it. That is not why they're spying out the land. Should I? God has said that the land will be theirs. They are spying out the land to work out how best to lay hold of it. Because there are battles to be fought and there are enemies there. But also to see the goodness of the land. So we carry on. Moses sends out these spies. Chapter 13, verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and into the hill country. See. Can you say see? See. Have a look. What the land is like. And whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good? Is it bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? So they went up and explored the land, and they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. They reported to them and to the whole assembly, and they showed them the fruits of the land. In a, in a few verses, just I think it's just before this, it said that they took one cluster of grapes and two men had to carry it on poles. That's a lot of grapes. Who likes grapes? That's a lot of grapes. You're not going to get that in Asda. They gave Moses this account. Okay, We went into the land that God is giving us, that we've been living with, that we've been longing to get out of Egypt and slavery for. And it does flow with milk and honey. Whether you like milk and honey is not significant. It's a good land. Here is the fruit. So they come back and say, wow, this land is Good, here is the fruit. Verse 27, but. Can you say but? So this land is amazing. It's just stunning. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. All these giants with six fingers or whatever's going on. And the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. And that classic joke, all the other parasites, because there's lots of ites there. Joy, expectation, anticipation, and faith. Do you remember that when you got saved and God touched your life? And then, but. Joy, expectation, anticipation, faith. It's a good land. But. And their faith just kind of... God has said, we know there is a lot of good to this land. No matter where you are in your walk, God has said stuff, has he not? I mean, you've entrusted your eternal future to him. Surely you can trust tomorrow to him. You know, he works all things together for my good. That's not just some kind of weird, narcissistic, modern, oh, just love on me. It's because he's good and he works it together and he does love on you. But he works it out for a purpose. That They see the goodness of land, but fear sets into their hearts. 
But fear sets in because of what stands in the way. Who knows that something stands in the way of everything God has for you? I mean, usually we are the primary thing that stands in the way. But you have an enemy who, who wants to rob you of inheritance. And the way God's done it is that you are to lay hold of things. Giants stand in the way. Obstacles stand in the way. Remember Moses said, go and see the land. They see the fruit and they see the giants. But, another but, Caleb speaks up, verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should, can you say should, go up and take possession of the land, obedience, for we can, can you say can? We can certainly do it. Different translations would say it differently. We, we should and we can. But the men who had gone up with them said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land. The land's good. They had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living there. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Go and see the land. We see it's good. We see the giants. We see how they see us, and now we're seeing us this way. They see things very very differently. But Caleb was a man of a different spirit who followed God wholeheartedly and amidst all of them laid hold of his inheritance. People of a different spirit, and we'll unpack in a sense what that is, people of different spirits say we should and we can when others say we can't. Or as the, another translation puts it, the ESV maybe fits Essex a bit more let us go and occupy the land, for we are well able to overcome it. I like that. We are well able. See, people of a different spirit say we should. Obedience, because God said it. We should. And we can, because they believe God. Obedience and trust and faith. People of a different spirit are promise-focused, not problem-focused. Whereas I like to put it, Caleb was promise-shaped, and as a result, had a different spirit. Now, this different spirit that sees things differently is not naive optimism. It's not blind faith. They both saw the land. They both saw the giants. They both acknowledged the problems. They both saw the same stuff, but not in the same way. Caleb and the other spies, they saw the same thing, tasted the same fruit, reported back some factual information, the opportunities and the opposition but his perspective was entirely different because it was shaped by a promise. I've got some yellow glasses I don't wear anymore. Um, but when I go cycling, I put them on. Or when I used to maybe go cycling once in a while. Um, and everything I see is tinted with yellow. Maybe you've got shaded glasses. Everything, you see exactly the same thing. If I was to put the glasses on now, I was meant to bring them. You would, I would see the same thing, but I would see it in a different way, with a different perspective. It would be tainted by the yellow in the lens. People of a different spirit, what we mean by that is they see the reality and the hardship and the difficulties, but they see it a different way because they are promise-shaped. They see it through the lens of God's promise and God's faithfulness. And God is trustworthy, faithful, and able have we not been singing songs, hallelujah, God unstoppable, faithful through the ages? Well, he's, he's faithful 
and is true. The others were shaped by the problem. The others were shaped by pressure. The others were shaped by fear, and they let fear run away in their minds, exaggerating their reports, and then they spread the fear. They let fear rob them of their inheritance. Caleb was a man of a different spirit. He wholeheartedly followed God, and we'll look at that in the coming weeks. Meant, meant he was shaped by God. God was his primary thing. Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Even at the hardest moment, he is shaped by the promise of the future, the inheritance that he will have. And it helped him through what he was doing. So some questions for us. What is your perspective shaped by? Quite a broad question, but, but what shapes your perspective? Now, all of us are shaped by years and years of experience, hardship, joys, pains, successes, failures. How do you interpret the state of the world at the moment? Are you shocked and aghast and surprised and think everything's falling apart? Where do you see God's purposes will stand? How do you view the coming recession? How do you view setbacks in your life? How do you view the secularization of culture? Oh, it's all terrible. It's all going to part. The church is being infiltrated. I'm not saying none of those things are true. But are you promise-shaped or problem-focused? When I read Scripture, I think the darkness is going to get darker and the light is going to get brighter. And the glory of God will fill the earth. And the mountain of God will be established as the chief of all mountains and the nations will flock to it and say, let us go and worship our God. I'm not naive to the problems and the brokenness, but the lens I see doesn't live there. It lifts my eyes to there, and then I see everything through there. Are you promise-shaped or problem-focused? Has fear tinted your vision, or has God's word and his promises? Side note, you actually need to get into God's word if you're going to be promise-shaped. What is your expectation of church shaped by? Many of us, we come to church shaped by disappointment, because we come to church hundreds of times and nothing happens. Is your expectation of church shaped by hurts in the past? And getting hurt at church is horrendous. Guilt. Maybe it's some personal agenda that shapes your perspective on church. Or is your perspective on church in this gathering shaped by the promises of God to meet with His blood-bought people and equip them to outwork His purposes on the earth as the increase of this government and peace has no end, knowing the gates of hell will never prevail against the church, that the very zeal of the Lord of the host will accomplish this. Is it dread? Is it dismay? Is it disillusionment? Is it disappointment? Is it drudgery? Or is it the promises of God? I've shared it before. Christians often don't tell lies. They sing lies. We sing some great stuff, don't we? I believe you, God. There's a rising generation. You're my everything. Is he? Do we believe that? I sing with gusto on a Sunday because I'm bringing my soul up to that. I'm not like constantly living in this place of, wow, it's amazing. I have to preach to my soul and put on the glasses of the promises of God. So some of you have come in in a wonderful place. Others, we have to fight and coming into this place together, singing songs of truth, hearing the word of God is how I get promise shaped. It's how I shape my are your prayers and your expectation of God's power to move promise shaped? If you've got personal prophetic words from God over your life, how do you view them? Does delay bring disappointment that derails you? Or do you just think promises of God, promises of God? Years in the wilderness, 
years slaves in Egypt, but God comes through. God is faithful. People of a different spirit have a different perspective. They look at the cold, hard facts in the eye. They mourn, they grieve, they hurt, they face delay, but they say we should and we can because God has said it. We should and we can. Wholehearted following of God is obedience in expectation. So that's how I view the, the, the commands of God, obedience in expectation because God's commands are not burdensome as some would think they are. They're not limiting. They're actually liberating. And so when you obey God, and the horizontal picture tells you you're missing out, or, or you're missing out or you're giving your money, you're missing out because you're serving with your time, you're missing out because you're not entering the gospel, you're missing out, you won't get promoted. You think, okay, th th that's one perspective, but I'm going to obey God in expectation that he'll work all things together for my good and for his glory. Obedience, not in drudgery, but in expectation that there's fruitfulness at the end of it because that's what God is doing when he calls us to something. And friends, we have promise after promise after promise after promise after promise after promise. I could spend the rest of the sermon telling that of who God is, how you can expect him to act and treat you and his faithfulness. We sing it week after week and I hope you do Monday to Saturday. Read it, sing it, love the word. Learn the word, live the word, as Devs is preaching on. Have you got promises of God in Scripture written over your heart? Have you memorized some Scripture that would fortify your soul? Have you, got, have you got a way or a means of every day getting your perspective shaped by God and His promises? Because if you're not, it's being shaped every day. Adverts, radio, music, billboards, the world around you, press, politics, you are being shaped and being given a perspective. And if this isn't put on first and the lens through which you see everything else, it's going to go skewed and you will get despondent and you will get deeply discouraged. Get into the Word of God. I mean, this, this could be a, a sermon of that, but also listen to the Holy Spirit, get with friends who pray for you, who prophesy over you. My life has been shaped by prophetic words for years. I didn't know how that outworked, but I started to read on things I believe God had said to me, and some of those things have come about. Ask people to pray for you. It's not everything. You pursue God, but why not? <laughs> if God can speak, ask people. Ask your life group. Say, hey, can we prophesy over each other? So often we do, we've do, I've done this in the past, just put one person in the middle of a room, and we just say, hey, let's listen to the Holy Spirit, see what God would say to this person. And some, some of us have never done, done that before. And we're like, oh, what if it's weird and wrong? Well, we're there together. We can help each other. You're, never gonna, you're not going to go from zero to perfect prophet. But we can all hear God's word, can't we? Pursue it, eagerly, eagerly desire it. And, and, and this next little bit, I just want to share with you some of the promises over us as a church. Some of you will be aware of these. Some of you will not. These are prophetic words and words of encouragement that have come to us as a church over the years and have settled well in our hearts and have formed and shaped our vision down to why we have flags, some of them, and why we do some of the things we do. And I pray as we do, there'd be something of a joining of hearts of saying, yes, God, I'm in this. Because every church is called to general kingdom mandate, go and make disciples. We can fill our life with that. But God speaks and gives different flavors, and some of that's from the people he adds to us and shapes us, and also through prophetic words. So Adrian Horner, who's a, a recognized prophetic voice in a wider family of churches, he said this. 
So if you're part of Redeemer, this is our inheritance to lay hold of. Okay? So you're part of the church. You're not just attending a meeting. And if you are, you need to find somewhere where you can do more than that and feel at home and be part of it. This is something that we encourage you to pray into, lay hold of, think, God, how have you made me? How can I contribute to this? So he said, you will pioneer the county church. There'll be something regional about you. You'll reach. You'll be county influencing. You are to plow the county. You'll be something of a church of the wall. Not defensive, as in protecting yourself, but going out from, extending. You'll be ascending church. It's a bit like an exploration base. You'll have a heart for the nations. You're not going to just be a grace-filled church to enjoy. It's going to be a church that goes to the ends of the earth. Four key aspects. There will be towers of prayer, prophecy, presence, and proclamation. Some of you will recognize some aspects of these. Don't worry, you don't have to remember these all. We'll send them out in email. They'll be on the website. Some of you will recognize some of these things we're growing into. Other things, there's a lot of work to be done. Mike Betts, who is one of the apostles that leads our network, um, in 2015, before we came here, we had a prayer meeting, and one of the other prophets said, I, I, just, I believe God wants to give shoes to people today, uh, and I want you to pay attention to what shoes you imagine yourself having in the spirit. Okay. Like, army boots. Yeah. No. I, I looked down, and I, I saw Chinese slippers, one of the ones that have a little curl at the end. They're like real pointy Chinese slippers. I knew it must be God speaking, because I wouldn't imagine myself wearing Chinese, and, and, and a few others had different things. And, and Mike said this, as you go to Colchester, there is going to be a breakout that will have a knock-on to Asia. I've known for years that God wants us to touch Asia through the Colchester University, and I think that God has just helped you put on his prophetic shoes for the gospel. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. There is going to be a breakout in Asia because of your going to Colchester. Um, and over the years, we've had many students from many nations, particularly from Asia, we had the Malaysian invasion a, a few years ago, and others from Hong Kong and China. Still in touch with, with many of them. We've invested in student work, A, because it's an open door to the gospel. They're a generation that is the most unchurched generation, and they need to hear about Jesus. People who are now 18, 19 haven't gone to schools where they do the nativity all the time. They have no basis, some of them. No Christian background whatsoever. And you say, let me hear about Jesus, or I hear his name at Christmas. But also because prophetically, God has said it will be a door to the nations, particularly Asia. And then Alistair MacDonald, some of you might know him. Um, before he joined the church, before we even were here, we had a prayer day. And I remember him standing up. It was in first sight. And he said this before I even knew him. I got a picture of a circle with limitless lines of symmetry. The church was to be at the center of the axis of lines of symmetry. I saw this in the top of a map of the world. And I felt God say the church would be influential in the nations linked to the university. In some small or large ways, they will be influenced. Some come through and they go back after equipping and discipling. Gulf Hope, relational mission team. Colchester is super strategic for church planters. Why? Because it not only has the highest student population in the east of England outside of Cambridge, but it has the highest percentage of overseas students of any university in the UK. I think that's outside of London due to the courses they specialize in. If anywhere in the east of England is worthy of strategic, dynamic, resource church plant, then it surely must be Colchester. Mike Bollinger, who's a, a well-known prophet within our network, he says, it's in the DNA to raise up leaders within the house as well as deployed beyond. I felt like there's this multiplication of leadership that's going to not just be within the church, but to go over the wall. You're going to be released to the nations. I felt there is a grace to raise up leaders. And so it's not only a focus for you to give yourself to, but a grace from God to see that established. Now, clearly these words are not exclusive, but I'm sharing some of the key things that have emerged within us. 
All of these words together with the call of Scripture mean that we give ourselves to leading people to discover fullness of life by helping them find and follow hope. If you want to boil down anything any Christian or church is called to, it's that, leading people into discipleship of Jesus, that, that He's at the center of everything we do. But we do it very deliberately, and we shape things, and we think of resourcing things because we dream of being a growing local church with a global reach. We have had people join the church because of our flags, because what these flags do, every time you look at them, you don't just think about me and here. You think about there and then, and what God might do, whether that's next door or the nation's. If you're here and we don't have your flag, get it for us <laughs> or we'll get it for you. And we want to multiply and strengthen churches by raising leaders, releasing missionaries and resourcing pioneers, which means we'll always be trying to raise people up before they're ready. So we'll have this balance in church life of maturing and strength and giving opportunity because it's not just about here. It's about there and then. So as I share these words, what's your perspective on church life? Are you comfortable and just a, just a sobering moment for us, we're growing as a church, but it's been a long time since we had any unbelievers get saved. And a long time since we've seen baptisms. I love that God is adding Christian laborers to us, and we're so welcome, we're grateful you're adding to us. But we can get so comfortable that we're filling the room. But we might just be shuffling the seats. There's nothing wrong with that. God adds people different places, different times. There's nothing wrong. But let us not become content that is big. Because are we actually reaching people here for Jesus while we're dreaming of there when? Because are you living with someone in Colchester, a neighbor or a place where you're praying into? Are you deliberately investing your life into community and neighborhood where you're mixing with those who wouldn't call themselves Christians, longing to see them come to Jesus? Now, we cannot control people being saved. But we can build a culture where we're zealous for mission. And I believe we have that. We can grow in it. And God has been adding strength to us. And I'm trusting that he's been adding strength to us to make space for many to come to know him who need nurturing and discipleship and helping out. But we live with this sense of big vision. And if you've never been a church that thinks anything more than other, I go to church on Sunday and I meet my needs in, 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 in midweek life group, that, that, that's wonderful. But God has a greater purpose for us. It's that your nations and the neighborhoods that you live in, and we've got some steer into some of the things that we are to emphasize as we do that. So what is our perspective? What do you see when you gather together? So I'm on the lookout. So when God brings diversity amongst us, I'm thinking he's fulfilling his promise, whether that's age, nation, or culture. When God brings someone new with a different skill, I'm like, I wonder what, what they've got, what God's adding to us to bring about his when someone comes and shares a word or prays out and thinks, let me hear the, the passion of their heart. How is God leading or guiding us? Come, and that's just not here. It's in midweek as well. Heard a great testimony in our small group this week. I was like, yeah, God is, God is doing something. He's encouraging faith. He's positioning in the workplace along lines of these prophetic words. I'm like, that's not just a job. I can't say I don't have time now. It's not just a job. God's positioning you where he has prophesied stuff about us. So what, what do you see? When you come together. Now, listen, I understand for some of us, life right now is just weighty. And the only thing you can do is try to just keep your eyes on Jesus. Sometimes that is enough. You're looking for the promise of Christ and sufficient for it. But I just want to 
lift our eyes a little bit, that we would be a people of a different spirit. We believe the promises of God. So I would love for you to take these and pray into them and say, God, what have you got for this church? Hear from God for us. God, have you got a building for us? Pray, pray for a building. We were along a home where we can serve the sixes. Somewhere, don't leave it to my leaders. <laughs> you know, what we're doing in some of these things. Some of you go way more skip. How, how God, you've shaped me and you've formed me and you've brought me here. What are you doing? Perspective. Perspective changes on that. Apparently, JFK one day visited NASA headquarters and he saw a man mopping the floor and he asked him, what's your job, sir? And he said, I'm helping send people to the moon. That's a man of a different perspective. What's your job? I'm boring business accountancy. No, you're stewarding kingdom finance, even if it's not kingdom. There's something God's putting, God's putting in you. God is doing much more than you could imagine. Do you believe he's sovereign? Are you trying to follow him? (laughs) Then he's using you. (laughs) I totally believe that. A traveler, you know the story, some of you once came upon three men working, laying bricks, said to the first one, what are you doing, sir? And he says, I'm laying bricks. Great, move to the next one. What are you doing, sir? I'm building a wall. Both true. Went to the third one. What are you doing? I'm building a cathedral. It's a pretty little wall. Redeemer, you know, what's going on? Just a few of you here scatter. He says, no, I'm building a cathedral. It's all about perspective. We are building a house of God. Size isn't the ultimate thing, although it's representative of something and it speaks volumes, but it's quality and it's spread and it's reach for people. Caleb was a man of a different spirit. And as believers, we have a sure and better hope. We serve a God who is utterly faithful, a Savior who is constantly prayerful. We are indwelt by the Spirit who is our helper, who fortifies us, who draws alongside us, who empowers us, who when God speaks, the Spirit testifies within our hearts and says yes and amen. And I pray if even not now, today, that something will be sharing in these next two weeks as our preachers and then as Roy preachers, something is deposited in us that we become a people of a different spirit, a people who wholeheartedly follow God and believe Him. People of a different spirit can sound like a bit mystical. Come on. It's people who wholeheartedly believe God and follow Him. A blood-bought people with a book of promises filled with the Spirit, building a house for God that will bless and transform this city, this county, and the nations. We see what God has promised. We look to the promise giver and we say we should. We should. Can you say we should? We must obey God. And we can. Can you say can? And we can. Then and now, I love reading revival stories. Anyone read revival stories? I love hearing stories of amazing healing and God moving. But I'm partly fed up of reading them. I want to live them. And I can't make them happen. You see, we can, we can have a vicarious experience. Do you know what a vicarious experience is? It's what dads do on the sideline when their kids play football. They relive what they could have done or should have. You know, we live through someone else's experience. When our bodies are old and we see them running, like I could have made that tackler. We, we live the experience. Or when you watch, I was watching the rugby yesterday. No one watch the rugby. Distracted. Stay in camp. Stay in camp. We, we have this vicarious experience. You can read these accounts and you can hear about them. And your spirits are stirred. And you get all excited. But it's not happening. I don't want to live a vicarious experience. I want my faith stirred. I want to honor God for his past faithfulness, but I want it in our day. The smallest thing, healing and freedom from just stuff. 
that's not for them over there. It's for you over here. Some of the, the biggest stuff, direction, guidance, Lord, what breakthrough in this way, healing. When I can't see it happening, the promises of God fulfilled across church. One of the differences between Caleb and the others was that they grumbled. Yeah. They grumbled and they wanted to choose a leader to take them back to slavery. I mean, try and get your head around it. They'd been slaves under Pharaoh. He'd delivered them and now they'd hit a difficulty and it might have been hard to take the land. So they want to go back to this land of slavery because it was hard. And we do this, don't we? We might not say, I want to go back, but what we say is, I'm dialing back from believing God. This is hard, and it's been difficult. You know, it's easier to just go along and have a bit of peace and get my fix from God and just live life. Because if I really believe and expect, there might be disappointment. I might get some bruises. There's battles to be fought. So I'm just going to, and for some of you, I'm speaking into your marriages right now. For some of you, into your health things. For some of you, into... (laughs) Not me, family members who are going through stuff. And I get it. You just you wanna you wanna keep going. Keep trusting him. You will never fail for trusting God and going again. Some of you are thinking, I just I, I don't know how to go. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you want to speak into your marriage. Every time I press in, I'm just disappointed. Be just settled. God, there's more. There's so much more in it. The thing God spoke to you about, it's it's painful. And for us as a church, dear friends, there is more for us. All our promises are yes and amen in Jesus. That means he's taken everything, the faithfulness and the goodness of God, and it's our inheritance in him. And so what I want to do in a few moments, I wonder if the band can come up and come up and just pray. I'm going to ask us to respond. For some of us, the response is going to be, I, I know I just need to walk free from unbelief, from a passivity, from a disappointment. You, you want to get rid of some stuff. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to come forward and we're going to pray with you. And we'll, if you need some personal space, we'll do that. Uh, You know the altar call where people come forward? It started, I think, with a guy called Charles Finney. Because he felt that if we were so proud to go and display our sin to the world during the week, when we got saved and we left that behind, we should be proud to display to the world Jesus is our king. So we get people up to walk to the front. I think it's something powerful when people move. You say, I'm leaving something behind. I'm going for it. And for others of us, if you you feel you just want to leave things behind... we would love to pray with you. Life group leaders will be ready. Grab a friend as you come forward. Next space, we'll pray with you. Others of you, you just think, oh, I'm promise-filled. I just want God to speak. I want to be more promise-filled, more and more. I, I, I just want more life in me. There's a hunger for something in there. I want you to come and be prayed. It could, no one could come. Well, I think there should be. Or um, it would be glorious mayhem. Wonderful. Um, but for all of us, I just want to lead us in something first. If, you, if you're part of Redeemer, I just, want to, I just want us to together say, yes, Lord. We don't quite know what it looks like. We've got some silhouette shapes. I want to say, yes, Lord, to owning what he's called us to. Yes, Lord, to giving ourselves to this. 
and to saying, I'm going to own this church. I'm not going to attend. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be part of laying hold of what God has for us. Um, and so just I want to close your eyes. We'll do the first bit sitting, then ask us to stand and then invite us forward. So if you're part of Redeemer and you're up for this, I just I, I felt symbolically to do this. I would love you to put a hand on your heart. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you, just if you're saying yes, Lord, just to, just to raise your hand and say, I'm in, Lord. I'm into being promise-shaped. I'm into going again. I'm into laying hold of this as best as I know how. Just saying, yes, Lord, we should. <laughs> and, and I believe we can. Some of you will be like, yes, we can. Others will be like, well, God said, I, I think we can. So, Lord, in our hearts in this moment, Lord, we look at this man, Caleb, and we're going to learn so much more about him. It's been hard to not think about the rest of his life. Um, we, he saw things differently, Lord. And we're not naive, Father. We know the difficulties. We know the challenges. But we lift our eyes and we're promised for us. So as we put our hands on our hearts, we ask you, Father, to make us wholehearted followers of you. And if you're up for it, just raise your hand. Say, Lord, I'm in. Lord, I'm in. Lord, I'm going to pray, I'm going to believe, and I'm going to lay hold of this. We long to see it in our days, Lord, and beyond our generations, (laughs) beyond us. We love reading, but we're tired of just reading. We're stirred to believe in our day. So we say, Lord, we we should, i.e. we will, and we believe we can, Lord, see something more than we've seen before. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that with me, I, I just want you to communicate that with someone or, or write it down, build it into your life, just and start seeking God for all the things that we might have for that. So I wonder if we can if we can stand.